Well, my name is Jerry Carpenter. I get to fill in every now and again. Mark is in Africa. Uh, and so uh, he said he's going to be watching. No, I'm just kidding. He said he was going to watch. Um, did everybody survive Independence Day? You still didn't blow anything up, right? Lawn didn't catch on fire? No? Good? Okay. Yeah. Seemed to be uh, with the guys, we go in and my wife's like, do we really need all that? Do you, do you really need those fireworks? And we say, what? Of course we do. Absolutely. You better believe it. So, but before we get started, uh, here's what I want to do. I want to honor our veterans. Anybody that has served or is currently serving, would you please stand so we can honor you? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So we've had a lot going on here at Bay Life, and uh, we just got back uh, from, from a mission trip. Our trip went to Orlando. And so this is really neat. Um, we had uh, 16... Uh, 12-year-olds. We have a big, oh, look at that. What a good-looking group. Look at that. So we had um, 16 of us, and what we did is we split up into groups of four um, each day. So what we did is we went to a church. Here we go. Here's Brian in our group. <clears throat> so each day we would split up, and there were four groups. And so we would go to, like, uh, well, some of us would go to a homeless shelter. Some would go to a soup kitchen to elder care. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, these are good pictures. But, uh, but it's interesting because, you know, think about it as sixth graders this was their entrance level, you know, to a mission trip. Now, this last group, do we have one more picture? This was the best group, I'm just saying. Uh, we had a survey, and I filled it out and said, this guy would. No, um, <clears throat> but what was interesting is that as, as, as we were loading the kids up, I didn't understand until we got there on the trip, you know, some of the boys had just these small bags for, like, their clothes and stuff, but then, like, like all these bags of food. And I'm like, you know they're feeding you there, right? Um, and so when we got there, the, the first couple of days, I, did, I, I, I was kind of under the weather. So during free time, I would go lay down. And the only way I could explain it when I got home, my wife's like, hey, how did it go? I said, the boys are kind of like locusts. I said, they, I, I, you know, I, I would lay down. And then after about a half an hour, they would come in from the outside. And they would, they would run into the room. And there would be all this food out. It, it's almost like, like a tailgate party or something. It's like they would just eat like a, a, a box of cookies, a thing of Pringles, Sour Patch, and then grab whatever drink. You know, if you leave your drink out, these would be drinks out for a day or two days. It didn't matter. They were like, <sighs> we're, like oh, we're going to throw that away. They were like, it's, it's gone. And then they would run back outside. And so, and, and we, we had to make them shower. I know that sounds kind of disgusting, right? But, but yeah. But last year, uh, my son went on the trip, and when we got home, he had all the, I'm like, did you use your towel? I'm like, you showered, right? What do you, like, what day? I'm like... Like every day, you showered, right? I showered the last day. Does that count? No, it doesn't. So uh, they would come in from playing at night, and they're, they're just soaked. They're like, well, I'm going to shower tomorrow. We're like, no. No, you're, you're in my room. You're getting... And uh, we took showers. It was basically like a hose and, and a tent. So they put the tent up with it. So... But anyways, uh, I'm going to share a little bit more about that when, when we get going uh, in our message. But what a great time uh, with these kids. We had a, it was a fun, fun time. I mean, we still have uh, teams out. You know that, right? We still have teams that are out. So please continue to pray for them. So, but let me, let me pray, and we're going to launch. And I um, need the time to do it. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunities that you give us. I pray that you would speak through me uh, what's been on my heart here for uh, quite some years. Um, Help me to communicate effectively as we look this morning at one of your parables. And uh, we thank you, thank you, thank you so much as we sing these songs about your amazing grace. Thank you for saving us. I pray your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. 
All right. So, so one of the things for me is that uh, not growing up in the church, uh, becoming a Christian later in life, as I started reading the Gospels, when I would go to church or in a Bible study, I would hear Jesus was the best storyteller. And so maybe I just didn't understand, but as I started reading, I didn't really fully maybe grasp uh, the parables and these stories that he told. Part of it is because if you don't know, the parables are in the Gospels, and the Gospels were written in a different time in a different place. Do you know that? Or are you like, what? I didn't know that. Okay, well, cultures are different, aren't they? Yes? If you've ever been on a mission trip or if you've ever gone to another country, they do things differently than we do, Right? You've probably heard Mark tell the story, and I have a story. When we were in Africa, we were in Kampala. We were trying to cross the road. One of the guys grabs my hand, right, runs across the road with me, and still held on to my hand as we were walking to the restaurant. And I'm like, you can give me my hand back now. And he was like, no, that's how we show friendship. And I'm like, uh, that's not how I show friendship. I don't, <laughs> I'm going to take my hand. And they were like, but, but they do things differently. So, so part of what I'm going to attempt to do, hopefully, by the end of this morning it is to take you um, into the culture, to have a, a, a cultural context because what it does, it really gives a deeper meaning uh, to the story of these parables because if you'll put it, yeah. So we're gonna be in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it and, and I've heard it taught and it is, we hear even today on the news, somebody stops and helps somebody change their tire. They're a good Samaritan, right? This person that goes and helps and it, and it is, but there's, there's a deeper meaning. And so for the parables, uh, if you put up my little definition, it's, it's a story with an eternal significance. It has eternal significance to it. And what Jesus is going to do as he tells these parables for these audiences is that what he's doing is it's, it's this way of telling a story that's got theology in it that's going to push the people to respond. So as he tells it, the people, you'll see by the end uh, how he tells the story and what a beautiful job he does, of course, because he's God. Um, but to kind of lay out the groundwork, let me, let me do this real quick. So here's the thing. The way Luke writes is that just like if you've ever been to a play, have you ever been to a play or a drama, usually at the end of it, they bring the people out for like a curtain call, right? Have you ever seen that? They come out, main characters, and they do what? And the main and they start bound. Luke does, he brings these characters out. And the main characters that we have is a lawyer and Jesus. The lawyer is part of a group called the Pharisees. Have you heard of them? If you've been coming to church here this summer, Mark's been doing the book of Acts. Paul has run up against the Pharisees. In fact, Paul was a Pharisee, okay? In short, the Pharisees, these guys, I know they get a bad rap. Jesus lays it on pretty hard. But these guys, they're trying to preserve their Judaism, their Jewish faith, their national identity, okay? So they're, they're trying to protect their turf, okay? They do carry a lot of weight in the community, a lot of, a lot of prestige, status, and so then the other main character is Jesus. Have you heard of him? Son of God, okay? Um, and so to understand the culture, here's what's going to happen. Anytime that these rabbis would come together, okay, the way these conversations would go, there's a protocol. Here in America, I say we have a protocol. If we deviate from that, we get into conversations with people. Somebody might come into our conversation. It doesn't really bother us. But in, in the Jewish context, there's a protocol. You're supposed to fall in line. What do I mean? These rabbis, what would happen is, one would come, when they come together, one would ask a question, this one would answer. This one would ask a question, this one would answer. That's not too different from our conversations. When you meet each other in the hall or here in church, what do you usually say? Hey, how are you doing? And they answer, right? Good, fine, okay, not so good, why'd you ask? Then they ask you, and you go back and forth, right? What we're going to see here is that the Pharisees, 
they've heard about Jesus. See, uh, they didn't have the internet in the first century. Shock. But they had gossip. And they had word of mouth. So where we're going to be this morning is, is three years into Jesus' ministry. He's six months from the cross. His reputation preceded him. Okay? So the other thing in the culture is honor. The Jews had this thing of honor. Now, we don't really have honor. Maybe the closest thing is like respect, pay some respect to me. But in the Jewish context, every time they came into these discussions, these guys had the opportunity to gain honor or lose honor. Are you with me? Okay, got that? All right, so now those are kind of our ground rules. Now we're going to jump into the text. You ready? Okay, let's go. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Go. All right, keep going, keep going. All right, so here's how it starts. So it says, behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Okay, right at the beginning, we're going to see Luke tells us that there's some contradiction here with the lawyer and what's in his heart. So he pays respect to Jesus, okay? So this, and this wouldn't have been private, this is public. So the lawyer stands up as a sign of respect, but he stands up, but then he does what? What's really in his heart? What's he going to do? He wants to test you. What's he going to test him on? Because he's heard about this Jewish carpenter that's teaching things that's contrary to what they're teaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Well, who was, who was telling them? The religious leaders were telling them, and Jesus says, but I tell you. So they're coming and they're saying, we want to find out what you believe about the law. And so here we have in his heart, what the lawyer's going to do is really what he's trying to do in this, in this public setting is, is, is dishonor Jesus. How's that going to go? Probably not well, is it? So here in his heart, we see he's going to test them. So he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So the lawyer asks Jesus this question. Jesus answers and says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So we say this uh, a term in sports. It's like tossing somebody a softball or pitching them a watermelon, meaning that to ask a lawyer how does the law read, you're, you're in his sweet spot. And so what we think also is that this could have been something that they recited in worship. See, some churches would recite like the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed. I'm speaking of today. If you've ever gone to a church, that's part of their normal, what we call liturgy. We think this was probably their normal, what we would say, liturgy in the synagogues is for them to recite part of the law that we're going to see. And so he's asking him, how does the law read? Now, I want you to catch something. Already, Jesus is deviating from the protocol because he asks him a question. Does Jesus answer him? He doesn't. This guy's not fall. I've heard about him, and he's not falling in the line. No, he's not. Okay, keep going. And he answered, the lawyer answered, because Jesus, okay, lawyer says, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus goes, well, what, is, what does the law say? And how does he answer? Have you heard this? You shall love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and what? Your neighbor is yourself. okay. So remember, the way this started was the lawyer was going to put Jesus to the test and really was going to dishonor him. Jesus hasn't answered any of his questions. And what he's done now is he says, how do you inherit eternal life? So now the lawyer answers by taking what's called Deuteronomy 6.5, right? First part in Leviticus 19.18. This is what they probably would have recited in their synagogue. Here's the problem. When you go back into the Old Testament, back in the book of Exodus, when God uses Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, do you remember that story? 
Okay, in chapter 14, it says that the Israelites saw the power which the Lord used to bring them out of Egypt, and it says they feared God and they believed. So this was a nation, a people group, who believed, that's chapter 14 right now, this is deep, chapter 20 comes after chapter 14. It's deep, isn't it? That's free. Chapter 20 is when the law was given. The law was given to a people already redeemed. It wasn't given to make them does that make sense? Here's what happens. By the time Jesus shows up, the law to the, to the majority of the Pharisees had become external. They, they're missing the heart part of it. So here's what happens. See, the lawyer was going to test Jesus, but let me show you how he's trapped. Because here's what Jesus does. He's, he's pulling the lawyer out. He says, how do you inherit eternal life? He goes, well, just love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, exactly. Go to my next verse. He says, do this. He answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Okay, what's he saying? Well, here's what Jesus is saying, because this is not a private conversation that's public. He goes, all you had to have done your whole life is love God with 100%, never straying to the left or the right, and loving other people and putting other people before yourself 100% of the time. If you were in a community of your friends and family and somebody asked you that, and you said, well, I've done that, what would they say? Yeah, people are, liar. Right? Basically, it's saying, are you perfect? So he's asking the lawyer, are you perfect? Now, if he answers that he's perfect, what are are the people around him going to say? Are you kidding me? He's not perfect. Well, if he answers that he's not, what happens to his honor and his esteem? Now, the other thing is, if he says, I haven't done that, he's just defined how you inherit eternal life. What does he not have then? He doesn't have eternal life. He's in trouble. Now remember, again, he wanted to test Jesus and dishonor him. And Jesus is turning the tables on him. And so now, look what he does. But desiring to what? Justify himself. What does he do? Well, who's my neighbor? So here's what he's looking for. Okay, so Jesus has already called him out. He knows he's in trouble. So now he says, I got to... I need, I need something I can check the box off so that I can walk away with my honor, with my esteem, but also so that the people in the community will go, he's a righteous guy. So now he asks Jesus, who's my neighbor? And, and put my chart up. Let me show you. This is how, this is how the Jews, this is kind of like we call their, their circles of acceptability. So you would have had the religious leaders at the top. And then, so, so they're good within their little group. Then you go out to the Levites. These are the people that would have helped in temple worship. Committed Jews, these are your worshiping Jews. They would go to temple, they would sacrifice, they would tithe. Your uncommitted Jews, they would not go to temple. Then you have your blind, lame, deaf, Samaritans. We're all the way down here, so we're not, we're not getting a whole lot of love from them. But my thing is, is, here's the question that the lawyer's asking. How far out in the neighborhood do I have to go? How far out do I have to go? What he's looking for is a list. Can you give me a list of a few people? Because if, if I can tell you that I've, I've loved them as my neighbor, what can he do? He can walk away going what? I'm righteous. Keeps his honor, keeps his status. Does Jesus answer him? Do you have your text? Does he answer him? He doesn't, does he? What does he start doing? He starts telling a story. Now, we kind of miss this, but first century culture, they love stories. Now, for us, if someone starts telling us a story, we're... You know, can you do it in two minutes? Can you, can you email it to me? You know, get back to me. So what he does is he starts telling them a story. 
So how does our story start? Go to my next verse. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Have you read this before? Okay. Well, here's the thing. Go back. So from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles. There's, there's a change in elevation. Jerusalem sits about 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is at the Dead Sea. It's about 800 feet below sea level. So it's a change of about 3,300 feet. So 17 miles, change in elevation. So you got that? This road was, a, was a, a desert road, and it was very dangerous. The people of that day, when he told the story, when he said that the man went from Jerusalem to Jericho, this is the road called the, the Ascent of Adamin. The, it's called red because of a lot of blood that was spilled. And it was called the Way of Blood. How many of you want to take that exit, right? What road are we? Let's go the Way of Blood. Yeah, I think we'll be fine there. So what happens is when he, when he tells this, the people immediately would have said, happens all the time. Think, think of a context for us, whether if it's uh, an inner city or something, if when you hear about uh, crime, that you're not shocked. You wouldn't be shocked to hear if there were crime at Ebor at 2 in the morning on a Friday. Would that shock you? Would you be like, oh my gosh, it's such a friendly family. I mean, really? Really? So this is what happens. So you have this road that has a lot of switchbacks that robbers can hide. And the other thing, too, is that the audience, in case you didn't know it, they're Jewish. Jesus, yeah, I know people are like, Jesus is Jewish. It's a Jewish audience. The Greek leaves this as just a man, but because he's coming from Jerusalem, where's the temple? Jerusalem. So we can assume this guy is probably Jewish. So it's a Jewish man coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, and what happened to him? He was stripped. Now, he's not naked. The outer clothes is what would have been valuable. So they would have been taken, and he would have been in probably like what we would call like our underwear, okay, laying on the side. So they took all of his clothes, and they took all of his possessions, and it says he's half dead. So he's probably unconscious. So can you picture this man? So he's laying on the side of the road, unconscious, with all of his possessions taken from him as he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. So we see that? Okay, now we have our travelers. Now who's coming? So then it says... Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So the priest, what happened is King David, you know King David from the Old Testament, he sectioned off the priest into 24 orders, and each order would serve in the temple for two weeks at a time. So the priest is most likely coming back from his service. Now, here's the thing. The, the, the law says that he's got to stay four cubits back from a dead body. Now, he doesn't know if this guy is alive or dead because he's what? Most likely unconscious. Here's the other thing. Remember our chart where we had the religious leaders, the Levites, so his kind of circles of acceptability, like how far he'd go out. So this priest, because this guy has no clothes on and he can't talk, how does he tell if he's a Jew or not? See, the thing is, is back in that day, a lot of the tribes, they would dress you could tell which tribe they belonged to by the way they dressed and also by the way they talked. We do the same thing. If somebody were to come in here wearing a jersey from Mark's favorite baseball team and start talking like they wanted some clam chatter, you want some clam chatter, where would you say they're from? Boston, Boston right? Had a tag. Boston, okay. So we can tell how people, right? When people say, oh, well, you're not from here. Where are you from? It's the same thing here. This man's unconscious. So the priest, and I'm not giving him an out, and most likely, too, he's riding on an animal because in that day, he was considered the upper class. They wouldn't be walking the poor walk. 
So he's probably riding something like a donkey, which comes into play because later on when we see the Samaritan, if he didn't have a donkey or an animal, he could have said, well, how, how can I take care of this guy? I don't have an animal to put him on. What am I going to do, throw him over my shoulder? So he's got an animal. But it says the priest does what? Passes by. Okay? Who comes next? Likewise, it says a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. So the Levite, he's not under the same constraints of the priest. He doesn't have to stay back. So he comes to the man and does what? Kind of looks at him. Now, here's the thing. If he renders aid to this man when the priest didn't, how is that going to look on the priest? It's not so well, is it? So the Levite, he does what? Comes to the man and does what? Continues on. <clears throat> okay, put my chart back up. I'm going to see if I can. I'm going to lead you. So in the temple, we've got our priest. Then we've got our Levite who assists. And then what you have is what's called the congregation of Israel. These would be worshipers like us. So if you're a Jewish audience and Jesus is Jewish and you've just had a priest and a Levite come by, who's coming next? Who's coming next? A Jew, right? And that's who comes next, right? Nope. Okay, let's go to our verse. Who's coming? But a Samaritan. Wait for it. Did you hear the air just get sucked out of the place if you were there? Oh, what? What did he just say? Did the Jews and Samaritans get along? They were buddies, right? They liked each other. The Samaritans came about from the Old Testament when the Assyrians and the Jews intermarried. And, and we got the Samaritan race. Let me, let me read you. This is from the second century B.C. This was from one of the Jewish uh, rabbis and scholars of that day. I'll give you just a little flavor of what they thought of the Samaritans. There are two nations that my soul detests. The third's not a nation at all. The inhabitants of Mount Seir, that's the Edomites, descendants of Esau, Jacob and Esau, okay? The Philistines, you heard of the Philistines? And the stupid people living at Shechem. Who do you think the stupid people living at Shechem are? Okay? And here's what, they would, here's what they did daily. The Samaritans were publicly cursed in the synagogues. Right? And a petition was daily offered up, praying to God that the Samaritans might not be partakers of eternal life. Do you think there's some animosity there? What do you think? A little bit? Think there's a little bit? So Jesus enters a Samaritan into the story. And so the Samaritan says, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? He had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, oil and wine would have been like the first century first aid kit. Travelers carry it, just like probably most of us, you have some sort of that, maybe in your car you carry with you. The, the oil would have softened the wounds, softened it up, and then the wine, because of the alcohol, would have disinfected it. So, so he binds him up, puts the oil and wine on him, and then it, um, he does what? Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. Okay, leave it there for a second. So here's the thing. This is what we think. Two, two theories on this. He either maybe rode with him on the donkey, on his animal, but I think what's most likely is that he took the form of a servant. In those days, what a servant would do is put you on the animal and then lead you. And so he would lead him to the end. So it wasn't that he just, did he take him to the end and drop him off at the front door and say, good luck? He didn't. Took him to the end and then what? He stayed with him. Now, here's the thing. Samaritans and Jews, I just read you, they don't get along, do they? If you're a Samaritan pulling up to an inn that's Jewish with a Jew who's unconscious and has been beaten, 
do you think you might be putting yourself in harm's way? Just go like this. Because what are they going to assume? Well, why are you bringing in this guy that's been stripped and knocked out? Are you culpable? So he's putting himself in danger. Does that make sense? What he's... So go on. So then it says, the next day, so he stayed with him. The next day, he took out, what, two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Because in that day, don't think Holiday Inn or Quality Inn, okay, innkeepers were some savory characters. If you didn't pay to stay, you got arrested. So not only did the Samaritan bind up his wounds, not only did he put him on his animal, not only did he take him to the inn, take care of him that night, pay for him, but also <clears throat> paid for any debt he would incur. So the Samaritans made up for the priest who didn't help, the Levite who didn't help, but also for the shortcomings of the people who robbed him. And so Jesus tells this story. Remember, remember how it started. The lawyer was going to dishonor Jesus, right? And Jesus has just told a story. And now at the end of it, look what he says. He asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And what does the lawyer say? The one who showed what? And Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. And the way Luke writes, the curtain drops. What happens? We don't know. And you see that in these other parables in Luke and the way the tension would have, the people would have gone, okay, what do we do? What, what's the response? And that's, that's what kind of hangs in the air. We see that in other parables. Have you ever heard of the, the prodigal son? Luke 15, do you know that story? Father has what? Two sons. The youngest comes to the dad and says what? Hey, give me my share of the inheritance. He goes, squanders it, and then says, I'm going back to dad's house, right? When he's coming back to dad's house, what does the dad do? The dad saw him and had compassion. Same word. And what does the father do? Runs, grabs him, right? Hugs him and kisses him. Put on the robe, the ring and the sandals, and throw a what? Throw a party, because my son who was lost has been found. But there's still another son, isn't there? Where's he at? He's out in the field. Hears the music, comes in, runs in and high fives his brother and hugs him and says, woo, you're back. What does he do? What, does he come into the house? The father goes out and says, come in. And the older brother goes, you never threw me a party. And then what happens? The curtain. Do we know what happens? We don't. How about Luke chapter 7? Jesus goes and dines with Simon the Pharisee, another Pharisee. A woman with an alabaster vial of perfume, do you know this story? Comes and breaks it on Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair, with her tears. And Simon does what? Oh, if this guy, if he knew this woman, he wouldn't let her. Oh. And Jesus, knowing his thoughts, he knows her heart and Simon's, goes what? Simon, let me ask you a question. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 50000 and one owed five. He forgave them both. Which one would love him more? And what does he say? Well, the one that he forgave more. And so Jesus goes, you've answered correctly. Since I came in, and he lists off all the things this woman has done for him and what Simon had neglected to do. And he says, this woman's sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Because she's been forgiven much, she loves what? Much. You perceive yourself to be forgiven little. How much do you love? Little. See, here's the thing. Here's what Jesus is getting at here. This lawyer is trying to live by the law and inherit eternal life. Can you inherit eternal life? 
Can you earn it? You can't, can you? Here's what Jesus does. Put up my chart. He gets to the end and Jesus goes, it's not who's my neighbor, but who can I be a neighbor to? And he doesn't have any bounds. And what the lawyer should have done is he should have said, well, who, who loves like this? Who shows mercy like that? Well, let me ask you a question. Who, who in the Gospels shows mercy and compassion and grace to people who don't deserve it, especially to their enemies? Who does that sound like? Who does it sound like? It does, doesn't it? And a lot of scholars through the years, guys like Augustine, Luther, a lot of similarities between Jesus and this good Samaritan because look at what this Samaritan has done. Unconditional love, putting himself in harm's way, acting as a servant, paying the debt that this guy couldn't pay. And so what he should have done is that if you want to love like this, you got to first know the Father. And see, this lawyer doesn't value Jesus, and he doesn't value the Father. You want to know why? Because at the beginning, he wanted to dishonor Jesus. And Jesus tells us in the Gospels, John chapter 10, he says, the Father and I are what? One. And then in John 14, what does he say? Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go prepare it right. I'm prepare a place for you. And where I'm going, you can come. And Thomas goes, we don't know the way. Where are you going? And he says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but what? Through me. And then Philip says, well, just show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. So what he's doing here is that should, should we help? Absolutely, we should help people. But what he's doing here is he's trying to show this lawyer. He goes, you, you can't inherit. You can't earn salvation. The only way, it's always been about God's grace. Because let me ask you, has God had compassion and grace and mercy on us? Has he? A little? I mean, is it just, I mean, Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love to us, and while we were still very, very good people, he died for us. Right? I mean, we, we come to Christ, and we, we're, we're close, and we just need that little boost. Right? Just the Jesus boost. If you got the Jesus boost, you're good. Right? How about, how about Ephesians 2? Listen to this and tell me what you think. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That means physically you're alive, but spiritually you're what? Flatline. And he says in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us what? Alive. And in verse 8, you should note, for by grace you have been what? By faith, it's not of yourselves, is it? It's a gift. So here's the thing. We're here today because of what? God's grace. The only reason you and I will enter into eternity is because of what? God's grace, period. And so something greater is going on here in this story. And what Jesus is trying to show them is that you, nobody's perfect. You can't keep the law. There's only one person who ever did it, and that was Jesus. And he's trying to show this guy, you want to love like this? then first you need to come home. You need to come to the Father through me. Because everyone, everyone in the Gospels, when you look at Luke 18, the same scenario, a rich man comes to him and asks him the same question. And he walks away because he's got a lot of goods. He's got a lot of money. And he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples go, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, what's impossible with man trying to earn it, trying to inherit it, he says it's possible with God, meaning what? It's right here. You want eternal life? It's right here. And so here's the thing. Why do we, if we understand 
that God has been compassionate with us. Can you see why we do things like Feed the Bay? Or the car show? When we don't get rained out, right? I mean, we can do it when. Or how about Kitapalooza? Why do we do that? Because you need something to do in the middle of June, right? <laughs> we got your survey. Listen, I come home from work. I just, I want to put on crazy outfits, get slimed and lose my voice. I mean, I'm just really looking forward to that. All of the craziness is just the bait to get the kids in here so that we can tell them about who? Because we had, what, 51. 51 decisions for Christ. Right? Isn't that awesome? Why do we do mission trips? Because you want to get rid of your kid for a week. We know. I read your application. I had some of the parents. You feed them for a week. You'll see. You'll see. No, but all of this, all of this is, is a reaction is that because Jesus, because we have been saved, we realize that our sins, which are many, we've been forgiven much, haven't we? And so what Jesus does, this costly acts of grace and mercy, we too should do it regardless, regardless of the person, regardless, there's no lines. And so let me just, I'm going to finish with our, so I, I talked about our mission trip. So here's the thing. And I just want to encourage you with this. So going on this trip, you know, we had, it's basically 12-year-olds. These are sixth graders. And so the chart I had up before that has our lines, that's comfortable. When we stay in our little bubble and our little circle and our friends, that's, this is not comfortable. So when these kids would go to these soup kitchens and these homeless shelters and they would come back, you know what they, you know what they would come back and say? Uh, they're, they're using some words I've never heard. Um, there's, there's people that are... Which, right, it's the world. But here's the thing. What's so encouraging is these 12-year-old kids getting the opportunity to go and, and, and love and talk about Jesus and pray with people. And you're like, these are 12-year-old. What were you doing when you were 12? It wasn't a mission. I can tell you I wasn't on a, I, I wasn't on a mission trip. I'll just tell you that right now. But these kids that get this opportunity, it's so encouraging to see that and to see these young kids doing that, and they're excited about it. And here's the thing. I want you... When they got back, we're retired. If you've ever done a mission trip, you're, you're exhausted. But the thing is, is this thing called joy. And the reason that they were so joyful is because you want to know why? They were doing what they were created to do. Guess what it is? Put up our, we, we've heard this. We've seen it. Mark, it's what? It's this relationship here, but that it's also what? It's knowing God and representing him. And when we do that, that's where life is. And this is what I want to encourage you is that Every weekend, there's a different ministry that comes up here, isn't there? Worship arts is this week, men's ministry, women's ministry, life groups, mission trips. There's needs and things that we can get involved in right here, isn't there? And I'm telling you, when you do it, the joy that you have in doing that, it's awesome. So this is what every week when Mark gets up here and yells and gets on the end of the stage like he's going to jump into the crowd. This is what, no, and this is what we're trying to get individuals to realize is that if you realize, if you know that we have been saved by grace and that God has done it all, what's our response? What ought to be our response? It's not that we have to, it's we what? We get to. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your message, um, hopefully to do justice uh, to, your, to your word. Uh, as we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, what deeper is that we can't earn salvation, we can't inherit it, it's all on grace. And we thank you for that grace. That's the only reason that we are here. The only reason that we will enter into eternity is because of what your son did for us on the cross. We love you for that. Help us to be the people 
who continue to reach out into our community with no lines. We love you, and thank you for loving us first. We pray for all of us here today. Bring our teams back that are out in the mission field, and bring Mark back safe as well. We thank you and love you. Ask us in Christ's name, amen.